Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Human Centered Security Podcast. Today, I am welcoming Nikki Robinson, Dr. Nikki Robinson. She is a security architect. Architect. <laughs> You're an architect. Yeah. A security, arch- <laughs> security architect. And she holds a doctorate of science in cybersecurity. She has several industry certifications. So the CISSP, CEH, MCITP. I don't even know. I, I know what CISSP, but I don't actually know what the other two are. She's currently working on a PhD in human factors and research and blending psychology and cybersecurity, which I'm thrilled to learn more about. So I can't wait till we get to talk about that. Uh, she has a background in IT operations and engineering and moved into to security several years ago. So Nikki, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about your work and what led you into security? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, so kind of as you mentioned, but I have a background in IT operations. So for many years, I actually was a Citrix engineer. Um, So I led a virtualization team, um, actually at the Department of Energy. I've been in government contracting for most of my career. And uh, at the time, you know, I was leading the team and I'm working on virtual desktops and, uh, I started getting really interested in forensics around uh, virtual desktops. So kind of how do you pull logs and how do you pull images and how do you pull these things from these active sessions um, from virtual desktops? So I got interested in security kind of from the investigative uh, kind of perspective, as well as, you know, from a operations perspective, I was handling all of our patch management, our vulnerability management. And I started seeing a lot of low and medium vulnerabilities either weren't getting remediated or maybe we didn't have time for them. And so I I just started really investigating them and learning a lot about vulnerabilities. And that was what kind of got me on the path for the DSC uh, in cybersecurity. And so I was a actually moved into a cybersecurity engineering role for a while. um, And now I'm a security architect. That is awesome. Uh, So I want you to talk a little bit about the low low and medium security vulnerabilities. So for our non-technical audience, kind of describe what those are and then, you know, why those are so interesting. Oh, sure. So uh, CVSS, which is the Common Vulnerability Scoring System, is what is used to score vulnerabilities. That's kind of our international standard uh, so for anybody that's used something like Tenable or Qualys, uh, anything that's a vulnerability scanner or kind of a repository, when you see a vulnerability score attached to a vulnerability, so something like a, a vulnerability score from 9 to 10 would be a critical, um, low and mediums are typically classified under a, I believe it's under a 7, a 6 or a 7. So uh, those low and mediums are not always a priority, mostly because uh, when vulnerabilities are scored as high or critical, usually there's uh, some sort of exploitability. Um, they're, they're either much easier to exploit or they're being actively exploited in the wild. Um, and typically there's some sort of you know full system compromise that would come with those vulnerabilities. Uh, but the low and mediums, even though they are scored lower, Uh, does not necessarily mean that they are not exploitable. So, for example, you could have a SQL injection vulnerability, which would be, you know, basically someone would be able to 
get into your SQL database and uh, kind of wreak havoc in there uh, could potentially be scored as a low, uh, just depending on how the analyst uh, scored the vulnerability. If they felt like, well, maybe people don't have, you know, uh, the right environment for this, or maybe it would take some work for them to get in. Um, so the the low and medium vulnerabilities aren't necessarily a priority, but they still can be exploitable. That's really interesting, and it sounds like what you're saying is that there is the the analyst who is going through and scoring these, like there's subjectivity to how they're scoring things as well. Ah, yes. And this is what interested me so much uh, kind of in vulnerability scoring too, uh, was trying to understand based on the, um, you know, so the CVSS score is built up of several metrics. And all of these metrics, you know, when an analyst is going in and scoring them, they will score them based on the metrics that are provided to them. Uh, based on how they've um, how they've looked at this vulnerability, you know what's it what's its exploitability, um, what kind of compromise could take place, uh, you know is there privilege escalation, things like that. So there's a number of things that they have to evaluate. But yes, there is some subjectability um, there. This reminds me of um, how we score usability issues. So if we do like a usability study and we're observing people use a system. You know, we come back with all of these different usability issues and we have a scoring system where they we score them, you know, high, medium or low with the intention of if they are high, you know, and there's uh, potentially like a high return in terms of fixing them, then that's what the team should be focusing on first. But it suffers from some of the same things that you're talking about. First of all, the context and like just kind of like the perfect um, sequence of events could turn something that seems like a low priority into something that should actually be addressed immediately. So, and they need to be reassessed regularly, which it sounds like these low and medium vulnerabilities need to be reassessed regularly as well. Right. And it's part of that, uh, kind of like what you're talking about, but kind of taking that holistic picture, right? So it's like, yes, they may be scored as low and medium, but then what system are they on? So let's say, for example, I have a web application. It's on a public facing server. So I've got users interacting with it on, you know, regularly outside of my network. Um, so the concern there is even if I did have some vulnerabilities that were scored as low and mediums, could someone still leverage those? Even if I fixed the criticals and highs, could someone still leverage those low and medium vulnerabilities potentially in combination, which is where vulnerability chaining comes in, where you're using those multiple low and medium vulnerabilities together uh, to create a more critical attack. And so that was, again, part of what interested me in vulnerability scoring um, and then trying to figure out kind of where these low and mediums fit in. So that kind of leads me to human factors in the sense that, you know, we're taking a step back and looking at the broader system, like you can't just think about, and I mean like systems like in the broadest sense, mm -hmm. um, you can't just separate technology and humans, you know, it's this vast ecosystem and it's far more complicated than, you know, the user did this and then this happened. Like <laughs> there's so much right. more to it. And that's why I love human factors is because it forces us to take this bird's eye view of what's happening. So tell me what led you into it, um, what interests you about human factors as it applies to cybersecurity? 
Sure. So I so it was funny while I was doing the DSC in cybersecurity, I actually I saw that there was a PhD in human factors a degree that came out around the same time that I was in this program. And I was like, human factors, let me, what is that? And so I, I started looking into it and I saw that it's, you know, primarily UX design based. Um, but I also, as I started doing some research, I saw that there are a couple other researchers out there that were applying it in cybersecurity. And so I started looking around and just kind of while I was finishing the degree. And then after I finished the doctorate, I, I just had this like nagging in the back of my mind, like, oh, but human factors, let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. And so I, uh, I'm also a huge, like, um, you know, true crime junkie. I'm always interested in like hearing stories and, 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 you know, it's that investigative side of me, I think. And so, um, so I was, I've always been interested in like behavioral psychology and abnormal psychology. And so when I started looking into human factors and seeing that people are talking about it, especially in security and, and blending those some of those psychological components, uh, it just it really sparked my interest. I actually before I got a degree in uh, IT and software engineering, I actually had started a psych degree. Um, so it was kind of like a full circle moment for me, I think, just kind of pulling back in that that psychology interest into um, what I'm doing in security that blended with the fact that I keep seeing the same issues kind of over and over again. You know, we talk about phishing training and awareness training and all of that, but at some point we're, we're not providing either enough information or the right information or the right tools, or, or, you know, we're not doing enough to kind of help our users out. And that's really where I kind of take that is it's like, how can I help the people that are consuming our technology that are, you know, ultimately, also responsible for security, how can I help them do a better job too? How can I make them, um, you know, really understand the importance of it? And so that's kind of what uh, led me into to doing this degree. That's super interesting. Yeah, when you were talking and I, I was like, this kind of has a, a similar t theme as to why I am also so interested in this topic in the sense that I hear this kind of the same things over and over again. And yet I'm like, why haven't we figured this out? Like what is right. missing from this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's this interesting thing where I think we just, it's, it's kind of like how we, we have a lot of technology that's come before security. I see this all the time where we were, we were talking a little bit before, but like IOT, you know, it was like we had, IOT was just an explosion, right? Of uh, new devices and new ways of, of using technology and then like six months later, everybody was like, oh, you can hack those. We should, maybe we should like secure those. And I was like, oh no, we should have thought about that before. <laughs> I was like, wait, we haven't, we haven't figured that out yet. No one, no one talked about this before. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, the other thing I was thinking about is like, you think technology is complex, like try diving into the human mind. Like oh, <laughs> you yeah. want something complex, like psychology is complex. Yeah, I actually, so I met, um, I want to mention her because she's amazing, Dr. Margaret Cunningham. Uh, she was a cognitive psychologist, um, and now she's doing research, human factors research um, with cybersecurity. And uh, some of the stuff that she has is amazing. Um, and but, but being, having a cognitive psychologist background and stepping into security, she has such a unique perspective. Um, and so I think we need some more of that, that in the community. 
Yes, agreed. Um, so Dr. Margaret Cunningham was on the podcast and she is in episode nine. So check her out. That was Absolutely. a very fun conversation. So, so tell me, uh, what, I mean, I feel like we should know this by now, but like, why is human factors so important when it comes to cybersecurity? Let's just break it down. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's, it's a very unexplored, especially from an academic research perspective, it's a very unexplored topic. Uh, there are definitely some people out there that are that are doing this research. You know, last time I talked to, to Dr. Cunningham and it was kind of like, hey, there's 20 of us. I'll introduce you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's only 20 of us, <laughs> you know, but um, so I think it's it's still sort of a. I'm finding it's not even emerging. It's sort of bleeding edge because some of the stuff we're talking about, I think some security programs are not like they're not quite ready for. So I think a lot of this is laying the groundwork for kind of. Um, some of the problems that we have, but it's it's needed because we haven't, you know, really like I, I joke, but I say like we haven't pulled up a chair for human factors yet in in kind of our cybersecurity programs. So it's sort of that like, hey, let's bring someone in with a different perspective and a different background who can help us understand our users and maybe where some of our pain points are. When you say that the cybersecurity programs aren't quite ready, like what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think because we already have so many challenges, you know, as someone who's a security practitioner, I see, you know, every day just the amount of challenges that we have uh, around the technology we already have, right? So we typically talk about technology process and people as the, the kind of the three, the trifecta of what's important, um, you know, in, in our cybersecurity programs. So uh, we still have issues with technology, trying to make sure that our technology is secure. We're still working on process. So we're still working on building up that documentation, those best practice guides, those SOPs, uh, those things that will help really ultimately um, fix security before, you know, it becomes an issue down the road, kind of like having a baseline, right? Um, and then that people component on top, you know, we're still kind of working on security awareness and phishing and these kinds of things. And it's like, we need to kind of mature that. We need to work on how we can really help our people and enable our people um, to be concerned with and care about security. And um, so I think that's where that piece is maybe missing. I'm really glad you brought that up. I, <laughs> I was thinking as you were talking that, you know, like just kind of having empathy for people in the security space, like, hey, like you've got a lot of stuff going on right now. Like, why don't you think about the user too? <laughs> like, right. Why, why don't we introduce like this whole other industry, this whole other practice called human factors? And like, why don't you learn about that too? That sounds like fun, right? Like, because you're not putting out, you know, 20 million fires every day. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it makes it, it helps me, you know, kind of roots me in, in, in that empathizing with them because it, I mean, geez, <laughs> I mean, like, it's just not easy. Um, yeah, and then yeah. I was thinking about, you know, because I get frustrated, I'm, I'm sure, because we were kind of alluded to this before, like, why aren't some of the root issues being addressed? Why is it that we tell people not to click on things, and yet the internet is built on clicking things, right? right? Like, it's just like totally counterintuitive. But like, you're also asking for, you know, a huge change, you know, in, in trying to address that problem. So like, as much as I get frustrated with it, it's like, well, okay, Heidi, well, then why don't you go do it if it's so easy, right? 
Right. Well, and I think that's partially where sometimes we still struggle with the technology because from the security perspective, we really want to, at least as far as I'm concerned, right? I can only speak for me. But as someone who is a security practitioner, I want to I want to come from a place of empathy. I want to come from a place of helping. And so that means balancing executive management, uh, the strategic vision for the business. It means balancing IT and functionality. It means balancing all of those different departments, uh, products, everything that has to do with the business, I need to be aware of and try to help. My job is to try to help, not make it worse. Um, because the I feel like that's kind of been a stigma in the past where it's like, oh, security is here to just bang the hammer and put 300 security controls on me. And uh, we know that doesn't work. So I think coming from, just as you mentioned, a place of empathy from my side too is just as important because I need to understand the challenges so that I can come up with creative solutions. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I am i can't remember when his podcast was coming out, but um, Ryan Cloutier, who's a security professional, I, I mean, saying security professional is like under totally undervaluing what he does. He's amazing. Um, but he said when you're coming from a place of uh or if you're starting out by saying you're not doing it right like you're already at a disadvantage with whomever right. you're talking to and i feel right. like that for both of us like so for me coming from the ux side that never works and i have to i have to be like heidi dial dial it back <laughs> right <laughs> 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 try to establish some empathy like you tell everybody else to do but yeah it comes from the security side as well so from you know when the security team is saying no you're not doing it right or don't do this you know they're already starting out at a disadvantage as ryan was talking about right right absolutely no i i definitely agree with that and i think that's maybe one of the places that you know maybe kind of hindered security in the beginning um you know, building up security programs. And it's like, you know, you want to come from this place of like, hey, I'm here to help you and secure. Um, and I think sometimes that's like gets out of focus. It's like, hey, we can't fix everything. That's kind of my motto is it's like, hey, we can't fix everything. Let's fix what we can. But you have to understand the risk that you're accepting. That's really where I come in is it's like, hey, I know we can't fix all this. Let me help you understand your risk and where um, you, you know, hey, someone could hack this server and then they're going to get all of your business proprietary data. That's bad. So like here, I'm help here to help you understand that risk and you either accept it or we can work on a plan to mitigate it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking about, so one of my goals is to make security multidisciplinary so like how how can i work with you you know to create something that's better and i think part of that is helping non-technical people like ux people understand how to manage risk because yes they probably have heard that term before but applying to cybersecurity, like i'm i don't think so um and certainly not the nuances you know the and the implications of managing cybersecurity risk. But if we work with folks like yourself, you know, we can better understand that and we can say, all right, I, I know what to do to kind of help us get closer to that from the human factors from the UX side, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then there, there are those checks and balances, right? Because then the technology team's like, oh, no, no. Like now right. you're introducing <laughs> a whole new, like, you know, set of things that we didn't think about. 
Yeah. And I think, I think you made a really good point and it's something, it's why like, I'm really happy to be here with you today and why I love public speaking and kind of getting out there and just talking with people is that, um, the more we communicate and talk with each other and talk about our challenges and maybe ways to fix them, the, just the better we work together. I think it's just going to make everything from a, you know, mission, vision, strategy perspective, it's going to make all of those things align so much better. Um, I'm a big proponent of giving a face to security. So having someone that can really come out and be like, hey, I'm your security engineer, or I want to meet you and hear about what's going on. Because I think having those conversations, even though sometimes they're difficult, is the better way um, of kind of getting to that place of that beautiful blend of functionality and security kind of circling back to what we were talking about, um, your PhD in human factors. Can you tell me a little bit about what the research that you're doing there? Yes, absolutely. So this is where I was saying that I'm a bit of a, a true crime, um, junkie or nerd, whatever. Uh, I, so I had been hearing this term linkage blindness, which was coined in 1984, um, by Mr. Edgar. Uh, he noticed in law enforcement that there were so in the 1980s um you know there were a lot of crimes and a lot of things that were happening they had a really hard time tying these things to one criminal so whether that was multiple jurisdictions different crimes that they weren't tying to one person because they didn't you know at the time know um they were just like well if i have you know uh arson here and you know a robbery over here these may not be tied together so they had a hard time tying criminals to like one criminal to multiple crimes they also had this problem of you know if something was across jurisdictions they didn't have a lot of communication and uh insight into what might be happening in other counties in other states uh so this this term linkage blindness was kind of coined for the kind of the inability to pull this disparate information together to one criminal. So I started thinking about this because I thought this term actually has some applicability probably to lots of other fields where this, you know, you've got all this information and unless you have the proper communication, the proper uh, visibility into this information, you're not going to be able to kind of pull this into maybe one concept or to one person or to one thing. And so I'm uh, currently, I came up with this new terminology I'm calling it vulnerability chaining blindness uh, because when we were talking about those low and medium vulnerabilities and the ability to chain them together, uh, it's kind of that problem that that we were just talking about where how do you kind of help people understand that this is a problem? And so I was finding that, well, like there's no terminology out there to t kind of describe this phenomenon. And so I first have to find out if this phenomenon exists beyond my own world. Um, so the study is basically to see if this terminology is applicable, if it's viable, if it can be used, and if it will be helpful. Because even if, you know, yes, this phenomenon exists, but we're never going to use this terminology, then, you know, it's not not super helpful. Um, so that's kind of what I'm studying now. I actually conducted my uh, pilot, my focus group, um, and I will be hopefully defending in like October, November timeframe. Um, and then hopefully publishing my work. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. You walked us through like the crime example, right? Mm -hmm. Of like not being able to attribute the 
um, criminal to multiple crimes. Can you give us, is it the same sort of thing with cybersecurity or it, can you give us a, another example? So I, maybe I haven't had enough coffee today, but I, I feel like I'm following you, but I just want to make a hundred percent sure. Oh no, no, it's fine. I actually, I'm on my second cup too. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there too. Um, so I was trying to tie this concept to specifically vulnerability chaining. So from a holistic view, if you don't have visibility, one into all the vulnerabilities, but specifically all the vulnerabilities, how they could be used in combination, um, then you don't have an accurate view of vulnerability management. Really, I mean, really your risk management, like your threat landscape, you don't really have any idea of where your risk is. Um, so for example, let's say, you know, I've got five low vulnerabilities um, and I haven't had a chance to remediate them. They might be like six months old or five months old, something like that. Um, if I don't have an accurate view into how those five vulnerabilities could potentially be used in combination, because right now, as far as I know, there aren't a lot of tools out there that do that. There are some, um, but if you don't have that tool or you don't have that visibility into those vulnerabilities and how they're used together, um, you know, you could have a higher risk in your environment and not, and not know it. And so the idea behind kind of creating this terminology was to give security programs and even IT professionals kind of a window into this problem. So that way they could say, oh, is this applicable to me? Let me look in my environment and find out. Um, so that's sort of, hopefully that explains that a little better. Yeah, and I, I feel like I heard you talk about this on a, another podcast, um, or maybe I'm just making it up, but <laughs> <laughs> aren't there, there are like tens of thousands of vulnerabilities on this list at any given time. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we're There's... not just talking about like five things like that you have to look at. Like, there's no, no, I, I was, <laughs> so that's the other thing too, right, is it's like how and this is a part of the bigger picture and hopefully what I'm going to study after this, but it's like, okay, I have, yes, I have, because part of the study that I'm doing, it's exploratory research because there's nothing out there that I could find that was like this. Um, so the idea is if I can identify that this problem exists, now I start working on a solution, whether that's tooling, um, improving tooling, improving processes, building a framework, whatever that might be to kind of surround this and start to really help solve the problem. Because, um, I, I mean, I'm starting to find that some of this, like I was saying, is a little bit bleeding edge because, uh, vulnerability chaining is still, even though it's, the terminology has been around for a while, I'm finding that a lot of people don't use the same terminology. Some people call it daisy chaining. Some people call it linking vulnerabilities. Um, so I'm trying to kind of help uh, hone the terminology that we use so that we're all talking about the same thing, if that makes sense. Um, and this has sort of spiraled me into, I just keep finding out that I know nothing, uh, basically with my research. Um, <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, I just know nothing. And so so now I'm studying the use of terminology because I'm finding that, like, you know, terminology really has power. There's There's a lot behind the words that we use in their meaning and how people perceive their meaning. And that's where some of that psychology comes in is it's like, well, how does perception really affect how we're looking at um, you know, this terminology. And, you know, now I'm down the rabbit hole, basically, of human factors, terminology research, um, and cybersecurity. So uh, it's certainly interesting. That sounds really interesting. I am really excited to hear about the research, you know, once you're, you're ready to talk about your findings, because that, 
That is super, super interesting. And and it sounds like super cutting edge. So I know I'm like, I hope I'm not too far out. You know what I mean? I hope I'm not like too far out, but we'll see. Well, it sounds amazing. Um, Not like like getting my input is really saying much. No, no, I appreciate it. It sounds very interesting to me. Thank you. Um. So to to kind of conclude, you know, anything, any parting words or advice for folks listening to the podcast? Um, yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, having kind of awareness of these issues, and I appreciate you kind of giving me the platform just to kind of talk about low and medium vulnerabilities too. Um, just kind of being aware of it, I think, and having conversations. So if you don't know something, ask, you know, maybe go talk to your security team, see what they're working on, see if they, you know, see if they understand your challenges too. Because um, just like we were talking about, I think just having open conversations and open dialogue um, and reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you have any questions or if I can help, I'm like always happy to help um, people if I can. So um, those are kind of my, my parting words there. Yes. So folks, definitely find Nikki on LinkedIn. I'll put that in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to promote or give a shout out to? Uh, well, yes. Oh, uh, me and Chris Hughes do the uh, Resilient Cyber podcast. Um, and we do that weekly, too. So, um, you know, if you ever get a chance, you could always hop over and check that out, too, after you've listened to Heidi's podcast. <laughs> yes, definitely. When did you guys start the podcast? Uh, so we started, we actually started that just a few months ago. Um, okay. So we're about, uh, let me see, I think we're about 14 or 15 episodes in. Wonderful. Yeah, I did. I saw that on LinkedIn that you, and I was like, oh, she has a podcast too. That's fantastic. So yeah, I'll yeah. So we'll, show notes as well. Yeah, and we'll have to have you over on ours too. So we can, so we can chat with you too. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nikki. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed learning about this. Um, I actually learned a ton. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm starting off the day with all of these nuggets of wisdom from you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.